Hello and welcome to Fatal Femmes, a podcast surrounding the women of mystery. Each episode will focus on a mystery, suspense, or thriller written by or made famous by a female-identifying artist. We're your hosts, Laura Celeste and Lacey Kenny-Gonzalez. Stay tuned. This week we will be discussing Death Comes to Pemberley, a novel written by P.D. James in 2011 and adapted for television by Juliet Tahiti in 2013. The miniseries premiered on BBC One in the UK in 2013 and was directed by Daniel Percival. It starred Matthew Rees, Anna Maxwell-Martin, Jenna Louise Coleman, and Matthew Good. We want to caution you that this episode is full of spoilers. The killer and twist will be revealed at the end of the episode, so if you care about that, go read the book or watch the miniseries or both and come back. We'll be waiting. This episode also contains trigger warnings for murder, suicide, and toxic masculinity. Well, this one came onto my radar because in my nerdy feminist book club, we just read Pride and Prejudice. I'd never read that before, and I really enjoyed it, and I thought, oh, now I can read Death Comes to Pemberley. Because I really enjoy P.D. James's work. This was the last book that she wrote before she died. I just learned that before we started recording. So sad. It was a great miniseries. I haven't read the book. Very much enjoyed the miniseries. So you said you enjoyed her work. What else of hers have you read? Well, for a different book club that I was a part of, I read a book of her short stories for Christmas last year called Mistletoe Murders. I think I remember you talking about that. Hmm, that might be an interesting one to cover for Christmas because we have been looking for things. So guys or ladies, anyone, whoever is listening, if you have any suggestions for a Christmas murder mystery is made by women or starring women, let us know. And so we read that for book club last year and I really liked it. I'd been wanting to read something of hers for a long time and just never had. First, I have a confession to make because for a very long time, I thought thought she was a man. I just assumed P.D. James sounds like a dude. Well, I think that that's understandable because a lot of men go by initials, I think more so than women. I don't know for a fact, but I assume it was one of those cases where she had to publish under a masculine sounding name in order to get her books published. Because I'm guessing she was a little bit older. Yes, she was. So probably when she started, it was a little bit more difficult for women to get works published. Well, even J.K. Rowling had to publish that's talk about another woman that uses initials i'm like and that's not so common duh well they told her that she couldn't publish under her name that nobody would buy her books and nobody would publish them so that's why she did jk because it could be a man just kidding it's a woman jk so (laughs) i i'm assuming that's why pd james published under her initials because the mystery genre is such a male-dominated genre Mm -hmm. that a lot of women have had had to publish under initials or masculine sounding names in order to get their works published it's completely believable because we even sometimes have trouble finding things to cover a lot of that's changed now thanks to gone girl and the girl books and now now we have the thing where men are writing under gender neutral names in order to try to sell their books to women Mm -hmm. like riley sager could be either or right it's a dude and he writes books that are from um the female perspective there's that's problematic correct i find problems with that First of all, okay, I'm going to digress a little bit off of topic. How can a man write from a woman's perspective? And also, we have enough of that because that is all Hollywood is for the past however many years we, Hollywood's been a thing. Up until recently, that's all we got were 
perspectives of women from men. And that's what's still happening. Well, okay, anybody can write a book from any perspective. There are women who write books for, um, um, you know, their lead character is a man. I mean, J.K. Rowling, her lead character, Harry Potter, is a boy. You know, anybody can do that. I think it's a little shady now that they're trying to cash in on this trend where women have finally gotten a voice in this very male-dominated genre, and they're like, oh, I can make money this way, so let's try to sneak in there. Trying to find a way to diminish the voice, even while making it sound like it could be a woman. There's another book that I read called The The Girl Before. Never heard of that. The rights were optioned by Ron Howard before the book even came out. Okay. Um, But it was another one of those where, yeah, J.P. Delaney. Could be anybody, right? Yeah. It's a dude, and in the back of the book, you know, where they put a little bit about the author, it says, J.P. Delaney is a well-known author, and this is their first book under this name. Wow. And I agree with you. I do think that, you know, it's it's possible for a woman to write it from a man's perspective or vice versa, but I feel like that sets a very shaky precedent, almost a dangerous, problematic precedent, because you can write from different perspectives, but you need to make sure you're approaching it very responsibly. And if you're going to attempt to write from someone's perspective that you really can't understand, because just like a white person cannot understand a person of color, a man cannot understand a woman's perspective. You need to make sure you are taking proper steps and placing safeguards. I don't know if that's the right word to make sure that you're not getting it wrong. You need to make sure that you're having a lot of influence from women and you're consulting women and you're listening to them. It's like if you're going to write from a different perspective, you need to have people from that perspective as consultants on your project. But I feel like Hollywood books, media is full of that already. And I think that it's time that the people that have had their perspectives written uh, written about by people that aren't of that perspective need to take the forefront on creating works about those people. So yeah, I agree with you, but I also think that it's time for people to let others write about their own experiences and stop trying to speak on experiences that they haven't had. And I agree with that. I don't mind that these dudes wrote these books because I've read several of them and they're not bad. I mind the pandering though. Well, I mind that it's very shady that they're publishing under these names just to try to get into this market. I mean, I could go down a very dark hole very quickly. That was not a euphemism. I think that a lot about our media and the entertainment industry is very, very shady. And they see something that they deem a trend or deem popular. They find something that works. And then it's like, how do we cash in on this? Okay, well, we don't have a woman, but how do we make this man sound gender neutral? I have no idea, like, if that's the motive behind these things behind the name changes and things but if that is that's so shitty there was a really interesting article that the guardian wrote on on this about a year ago which is really what brought it to my attention so if you're interested go and um search for that article that the guardian did interesting so maybe like gender neutral names yeah author names which is fine that is fine and i don't think that's the problem but i think the problem is what you're saying is men changing to pander to women well and so many women have had to publish under male names mm-hmm. initials are one thing but like george Eliot is a woman and she had to completely come up with a different name 
George Eliot, to publish her book under because there was no way as a woman she would have gotten her book published. Or even been seriously considered. Right. And the fact that even as, you know, as recent as J.K. Rowling Mm -hmm. having to do this, it just takes away from what these women had to do, these men changing their name to try to fit into this market. They don't have to hide who they are. No, they'll still have a market. They're just trying to make more money. They're trying to deceive an audience. If this, if this, what your what this article is saying is true, they're trying to deceive a market into making so they can make more money. And maybe it's not the dude's idea. Maybe it's their publishers, but they still go along with it. That's that's true. But there's yeah, like you said, there's still responsibility of the author. They can make that choice, but do they choose integrity or money? And oftentimes we know how that song and dance ends. And it's not like these are brand new people that they're going, oh, well, this is your first book. We won't publish you unless you do this. These are established authors. Now, granted, I'd never heard of any of the books that they'd written before, but, you know, they'd had stuff published. So it, again, this was a choice that they made to either do this or to go along with this. Yeah, there needs to be responsibility held to the artist because you do have a choice yeah you may not make money or you may not get that acclaim at that moment but you do have a choice when it comes to making choices with integrity and making choices that are could damage or diminish another author's work especially one that's by a woman and so now that we've gone down that train oh yeah i could talk about this all day but let's actually get into our book and mini series let's talk about this so death comes to pemberley is inspired by pride and prejudice which laura mentioned before and where she is very excited about these things they typically do not fill me with exciting i'm sorry to play negative nelly here but i love pride and prejudice i love the book i love the mini series with with colin firth I love the film adaptations. I even love the super old black and white version, which is a little bit more true to the novel, which I found interesting. But older films I find are sometimes. But I really, really love this book. It meant a lot to me as a teenager. And I have seen many things, and I'm using my air quotes, inspired by Pride and Prejudice or inspired by Jane Austen. And I have been very disappointed because these characters are very, very important to me. So treating them with respect and dignity is paramount to me as well. When it comes to this particular work, I'm not just sitting out here going justice for Darcy or justice for Elizabeth Bennet or whatever, but I do hold things that try to use these characters or this story as a jumping off point to a higher caliber because the book is so good. So in light of that, what was your opinion on this? I am formulating that. I think I may... still discover that as we go along like I kind of want to talk it out because I haven't really talked to you about it yet but I do like it I was very intrigued by the plot it held my interest I did find the first part because this mini series is broken up into three parts I did find the first part very slow and very tedious it was a lot of setup and when you when you have a knowledge of who the characters are you don't need so much backstory and I felt that's all part one kind of what so it was like oh remember this guy remember this lady oh they're married don't forget that (laughs) i also feel like it was setting up the characters in this new setting that we haven't seen them before because at the end of the book darcy and elizabeth get married so we haven't seen them 
as a married couple. And the end of Pride and Prejudice. The end of Pride and Prejudice, yes. They get married, so we haven't seen them together like that. And this this book takes place... Six, six years. years. So the book and the miniseries both take place six years after they were married. They have a son who's about six years old, I think, five or six. And they live at Pemberley, and they have this lovely life. And it's very much established in the first episode, their married life. And it's very happy. It seems like a very good, content situation. And I think it's really interesting because we didn't see in, the, in Jane Austen's version, we didn't see them as a married couple. It's really interesting to see perspectives on what that looks like sometimes. I don't always agree, but this one I felt was very close. I think P.D. James probably was a fair, or a student of Jane Austen. There was a big recap as kind of like a prologue to the book going over everything that happened in Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. So you get that set up before you even start into what P.D. James wrote. And so maybe that's kind of what episode one, I mean, it does tell a little bit of this. It does tell a lot of the story of Death Comes to Pemberley. I forgot the name. It does tell the story in episode one, but there is a, a large amount of recap. And I think that's good for some people who either hadn't read Pride and Prejudice or it had been a long time. Um, I had just read it, so it was a little bit tedious for me. Yeah. But in the miniseries, I did enjoy seeing the characters and mm -hmm. seeing the people embody these characters. Because at first, Anna Maxwell Martin, I thought, was a really odd choice for Elizabeth. I mean, I love her. I, I really, really enjoyed her in the adaptation of Bleak House that I watched recently. But... I did not see her as a Lizzie Bennet at all, but I really, really enjoyed her performance in that. And so seeing these actors embody these characters was a really nice setup in that first episode. Yeah, and when I saw her in the role, I thought this makes sense because I've lived with the character of Lizzie Bennet for a while, since my teens, and I am not in my teens anymore. So, and knowing what Anna Maxwell Martin typically does in roles I when I saw her in this role I felt confident that she was gonna give a good portrayal and the thing is it's like that's a, a lot of the actors I don't think there's a weak actor in the bunch no everybody is very strong I had no problems with any of the casting Matthew Reeves was funny to me as Darcy he worked very well but I was surprised to see him because I forget he's British and he's in the Americans with Carrie Russell I only watched the first season so I was like this dude normally doesn't have a British accent when I see him. But I think he, he is actually British. I thought he was really good. He was charming, but stern. But also, I really loved their relationship mm -hmm. and how well they played off of each other. I think the casting department of this film did an excellent job imagining these characters a little bit older, a little bit more established and settled. Because I feel that they chose very well especially for Darcy and Lizzie. Well, I thought Jenna Coleman was so great as Lydia. She just has that... There's so Effervescent. There's depth to her, but yet she can also go into that real high-pitched, flighty, just, you know, over-the-top yeah, Lydia. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have put her in that role in the first place, but... Sometimes it takes an actor of great depth to play very shallow characters. And Lydia, by no means, is shallow. She has depth to her, and you see that later on in the miniseries. But in the beginning, it's very much what you've come to expect of Lydia. She's very superficial, kind of shallow, flippant. But Jenna Coleman does a really good job of still making her feel relatable, despite her being kind of unlikable. Yeah, Lydia's not a super likable character. She reminds me of the mother. 
Oh, yes. Oh, God. Whenever I see something, it doesn't matter what adaptation I see with that mom. It's just, she's so grating. Grating is the word I was thinking of exactly. So grating. And and you just wonder what that, and I don't mean to come down on Mrs. Bennett. I'm sure she has her own struggles that this imaginary character does. But I do, I, I wonder how the relationship is with her and Mr. Bennett. But I think probably the yin and the yang but I think they probably balance each other. I think there's, she brings the energy and maybe he brings the peace. In Pride and Prejudice, because I just read it, uh-huh. talks about how he knows how absurd his wife is, but he loves the absurdity. Like, he enjoys getting letters from Mr. Collins. Yeah. And he enjoys being around him because he likes to see how over the top and absurd and strange she is. He enjoys that. So... Sounds like a sociopath. Kind of, yeah. So he enjoys that in his wife, too, even though Lizzie talks about how she knows her parents are not evenly matched and that her father did not marry well. Yikes. Um, So, yeah, she doesn't have a good relationship with her mother, and Lydia was always her mother's favorite. Well, because... They're the same. Mirror mirror image. And I think it, it bears repeating, and I don't know that I've said it yet, I love this book, but obviously we are dealing with a lot of problems dealing with women and how they are treated because women were not treated well. It's taken a long time for women to even be treated with some decency, but back then women were glorified property. And I think we all know that. I still appreciate the book for what it is and what Jane Austen did for literature and what she did for women. Um, But the book is not without problems. And I think those problems carry into Pemberley. Death Comes to Pemberley. Um, In the miniseries, we do see that. We do see women being treated less than equal and as property. And that is bothersome. Well, I think P.D. James does a good job because after the murder takes place when they're trying to send Georgiana away, Alverson speaks up for her and says she can make up her own mind but then of course he has to apologize to everyone and say oh i'm sorry that i spoke to you in this way yeah but there are things that she throws in there like that there are glimpses of a better of better days but still it's it's hard to watch a miniseries or read a book when women are treated less than equal so apparently it's not so hidden as it is now but it's very it's very just blatant but we actually need to get into premise of this of this book because we haven't even gotten it. Oh, we haven't even given a synopsis yet. Yeah. Oh I my think, gosh. I think this might be a Fatal Fems record. But here's our premise. It's June 1803, six years after the marriage of Mr. Fitzwilliam Dartsey and Miss Elizabeth Bennet, as recounted in Pride and Prejudice. One evening, George Wickham and his wife Lydia, Elizabeth's sister, are traveling by carriage to Pemberley for a ball with Captain Denny. Wickham and Denny have an argument and leave the carriage in anger. The two men disappear into the woodland, where Lydia hears two gunshots. After being informed, Darcy sends out a search party who finds Wickham distraught and hysterical, holding Denny's body and blaming himself for his murder. That premise kind of sets it up. The first part of this series, this I think it's three hour long episodes. The first part of the series really sets everything up. It sets up that... Lydia and George were not invited to this ball that is being held at Pemberley, that they are coming uninvited and unannounced. I don't know that Captain Denny is thrilled with that. It's the eve of this big ball that they give every year at Pemberley that was named after Darcy's mother. 
it's still held on her birthday even though she's dead. A lot of things are happening. There's some things in play about Georgiana. She's old enough now that she's catching the interest of eligible bachelors and she's expecting somebody. She hasn't confided in Lizzie or anyone yet, so they don't know who her affections are for, but something is going to happen. There's a bunch of people coming. Some of the servant girls come screaming into the house saying that they saw Mrs. Riley's ghost out in the Pemberley Forest. And remind me the story behind Mrs. Riley. So what had happened was when Darcy and George Wickham were boys, there was a young boy who was poaching on the land of their, I think their neighbor or somebody who lived near them, the High Castles. Yeah, and they also were, the man was the magistrate. Yes, the man was the magistrate. And the boy was caught. Well, even though poaching was a major offense because he was so young, they just expected him to maybe serve a little bit of jail time or get a fine and be let go. But the man, Highcastle, pushed for the ultimate punishment and the boy was hanged. So his mother, distraught, went into the woods in Pemberley and hung herself. So now there is the rumor that anytime tragedy is going to happen on the Pemberley estate, Mrs. Riley's ghost appears beforehand. And this also, this event not only established that event, it also haunted Darcy, Mr. Darcy, as well as Wickham, because they both were witness to the execution, even though they were not supposed to be there. They snuck in because they were all friends, correct? I don't know if they were friends or not, but because he was around their age, you know, this was a big thing. And the fact that the boy was so young and was given such a high punishment. It was very, very disturbing to watch. And from that time on, the Darcys and the High Castles did not get along. Yeah, there was this unspoken, maybe not unspoken, but there was a tension because he sentenced this young boy to death. And it's the Lady Anne Ball. Lady Anne Ball, yes. yes. The servant girls see the ghost of Mrs. Riley and they come in all upset about this in the midst of all these preparations for the ball. Some amazing food is being made. I wish I could go to that ball. It's and gorgeous. Some of that food. I think Elizabeth is bears witness to the girls coming in and telling Mrs. Reynolds about this. Mm-hmm. And, of course, she doesn't believe it. She thinks they're just being silly girls. And although she doesn't believe the girls, she thinks they're kind of silly. She listens to them. Um, And she also sees the woman later when she's going to visit um, the head coachman's son, Will, um, at his cottage that is in Pemberley Woods because he is deathly ill. And while she's on her way to see him, she sees the woman. So... Although she doesn't believe them, she's a little shaken. One note I'll make right here is that while the story is the same except for a few minor changes, the order of the book and the miniseries are very different. Really? The book is very slow, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. I enjoyed it, but it, it was very slow and everything proceeds in order and it's not one of those where we learn anything beforehand. You very much learn one little thing at a time. Uh-huh. Whereas the miniseries, they make it much more dramatic and a lot more active. Well, if you say that moves faster because I felt the whole first episode was so slow. Yes. Yeah, wow. It, because in the book, Elizabeth doesn't see the woman and she goes and visits the Bidwell Cottage a little bit later. 
So there's the the order and the timing are changed up in the miniseries. I don't remember when she goes to see Will if it's before or after she hears the girls talking. It's after. Okay, so that evening, they are still preparing for the ball and things are underway. Elizabeth is tired and stressed and probably just overworked with party preparations. Up gallops a coach with a guest who was not expected, and it's Lydia. And she was pointedly not invited because of her husband, who is kind of a ne'er-do-well, George Wickham, who we know all about him from Pride and Prejudice. But if, if you don't, just know he's a less than reputable character. Well, in comes Lydia. She's hysterical, barely coherent, screaming that Wickham's been killed. She knows he's been killed, but yet she did not see him killed. She just heard gunshots, but she knows he's dead. So Darcy sends out a search party into the woods, and they're looking and they're looking... And eventually they come upon Wickham, who is alive, but also hysterical himself, holding the body of his friend, Captain Denny, who is dead. And he is saying, he's dead. It's my fault. I've killed him. Something to that extent. And he says it over and over. He's he's very hysterical. So they carry him and the body back to Pemberley. Darcy goes to get the local magistrate, who just happens to be the son of... Highcastle. Hardcastle. Hardcastle. So he's the son of the magistrate that sentenced the young boy to death. So this is his son. There's still this unwritten, unspoken tension. Darcy knows that this is what he has to do to follow the law and be above suspicion himself. So they go get the magistrate, tell him what happens. He starts interviewing everyone and they establish that Denny died from wounds that were blunt force trauma, pretty much. Um, His head's bashed in on the on the back. Wickham claims he doesn't know what happened, that he was pursuing Denny because he got out of the carriage and discovered the body and fire, fired a pistol at someone that he saw fleeing. And he fired a second shot to call for help. And he tried to drag Denny to safety, but no murder weapon can be found. So this story cannot be corroborated. There is no sign of a, another person. So Wickham is, I think, pretty much immediately suspected and the fact that he said i killed my best friend i didn't really think he meant it in the i murdered him i thought he was saying it was like out of like he was irresponsible so those actions caused his friend to die but they take this confession very very seriously they don't ignore it so wickham is arrested well not yet because also colonel fitzwilliam who is also staying at pemberley for the ball who has an interest in georgiana but I don't. I think it's still unspoken at this point. He took a night ride around the same time that all of this was going on. I guess right before, so it would have let him in the. It would have put him in the perfect time to be involved, possibly. Elizabeth is the only one that kind of I think has suspicions about him because she sees him burning a letter. He later admits that a large amount of cash that was found in Wickham's hat came from him. We don't know what role he could have played, but there's suspicion kind of cast on him, but primarily it's from Lizzie. It's not really from anyone else. See, in the book, it's Darcy that sees him burning the letter. Oh. So it's, like I said, the story's the same. It's just things like that Uh that are different because the book is from Darcy's perspective. Oh, really? Which is interesting because Pride and Prejudice was not. It was from Lizzie's perspective. Right. So the fact that we get to see a little bit more into Darcy and his thoughts and feelings, I thought was a very interesting choice for her to make when writing this book. At the end of all this, we're coming to a close. So not much has really happened in the way of plot development. It was a lot of buildup 
and a lot of action towards the end, which is a pretty good description for this whole series because not a lot happens and then all the action happens at the end. So Sir Selwyn, who is the magistrate, his last name's Hardcastle, his father was the one, we already established all that. Sir Hardcastle, or Sir Selwyn, whatever his name is, the magistrate, reminds Darcy that Wickham is uh, is his technically his brother-in-law because, through marriage, and Denny was killed on his land, which could lead to scandal for that family if Wickham is implicated. And so that's kind of where we're left with that. I believe he's arrested at the end. He is, yes. Okay. And that's where we leave episode one. So we're going to try and get through this kind of quickly because there's a lot to cover and we are we still have two episodes. Episode two finds George Wickham in jail. Captain Fitzwilliam comes to visit him. Wickham tells him that he better get him a better room and more food and different things and basically threatens him. So at this point we're going... What's going on here? But this is where they tell everybody they have to cancel the ball. Obviously, there's been a murder. They thank the staff for being so supportive. But through all this, you can kind of see the relationship between Darcy and Elizabeth kind of turning cold a little bit. Darcy's kind of going back to how he was in Pride and Prejudice, and he's getting very much about his duty and what he has to do and... Lizzie's like, why are you acting like you have a stick up your ass? I'm your wife. And so we find out that Georgiana is leaning in her affections towards this young lawyer named Alverson. Is his name Henry? Henry? Yes. Alverson? But we also find out that Captain Fitzwilliam wants to marry her. Colonel. I mean, Colonel Fitzwilliam wants to marry her. Elizabeth has made it very clear to Georgiana that she thinks that she should marry for love. Now, in the book, Darcy very much agrees with that. In the miniseries... He's like, Colonel Fitzwilliam is family. He's been a good friend to us. He's stable. He can provide a good life for you. And all of these things. And wants Georgiana. And this is where kind of treating Georgiana like property comes in. Because the way Fitzwilliam and the way Darcy talk about her in the miniseries is very much like okay well there's Pemberley and Georgiana is an asset of Pemberley so this strengthens Pemberley so this is a better match than her marrying for love and Georgiana being a dutiful sister agrees with her brother and even though it breaks her heart she opts to make the decision that's better for the house than for her especially since everything's so up in the air right now with George Wickham being accused of this murder and the results of the inquest are that he is going to go to trial for the murder. Which I thought the inquest was really interesting. It was kind of like a performance or something because people were hooting and hollering and They treated laughing. it like theater. Yeah. It was like when, he, when they brought the accused in, he wasn't guilty or innocent at this point. But they were like, boo! And every time the prosecutor would say something they'd be like yay and then if he's the accused said something they'd be like boo i don't even think they really cared if he was innocent or guilty i think it was just the theater of it all that they liked yeah which i guess if there's no tv and a lot of the population was illiterate so what else did you do but go to inquests inquests why weren't only men allowed at inquest oh i think probably i'm not sure if that's true but there were a lot of men. I don't remember seeing any women. I don't think so. Hmm. Interesting. I just can't remember. Some other things that we have found out is that the Bidwell sister has a baby. Oh yeah, because in the beginning they come to the cottage where Will is at 
and they see Louisa with this little baby and she's like, oh, it's my sister's and I'm helping her take care of it. Well, Lizzie goes to the cottage to see Will because she has a very close bond with him and the family and she walks by a window or first she knocks on the door and no one answers. So she goes around to the back to see if someone's at home and she looks through the window and she sees Louisa nursing the baby. So she immediately knows and Louisa's face tells you that that baby is not her sister's, it is Louisa's. It becomes a question of who is the father of this baby because Louisa is unmarried. So I believe she names the father of her baby as Freddie Delancey. And she says he's a soldier and that he went off to, I think, collect funds so they could go, go away together and he hasn't come back. So she's very, very worried. And she kind of, once Elizabeth knows the truth, she kind of opens the floodgates and lets Elizabeth in on what's been going on. So Elizabeth says she's going to help by writing it to his regiment to see if he can, she can find out where he's at. All of this is happening because of all the coldness between Darcy and Elizabeth because of what's going on, because Darcy's feeling very po pulled to his duty at, by his station. Elizabeth is still reacting the way Elizabeth does with a lot of heart and empathy. And those two things aren't mixing. So Elizabeth during this whole time is kind of being reminded of the first proposal that Darcy made, which was not very nice indeed. She's having a lot of doubts. There's a very heart-wrenching scene where she's sitting out um, on the property crying, thinking that maybe he has changed his mind and is regretting his marriage to her. They get a letter back about this soldier and find out that he doesn't exist. During the inquest, Louisa is sent to take a basket of food to Darcy well, for lunch. She goes with Elizabeth. Elizabeth goes, I'm going to take Louisa with me to take this food to Mr. Darcy. And they arrive just as the inquest is ending and Darcy is found to be guilty or not to be guilty, but to be suitable to stand trial. No, you mean Wickham. Who did I say? You said Darcy. Oh my gosh. Darcy Wickham. One of these white English dudes that doesn't respect women enough. I don't know. One of them's guilty. They're all guilty of toxic masculinity. Truth. Throw away the key. <laughs> Wickham has been found to stand trial for this murder. And just as he's being carted away back to his cell, Louisa cries out, Freddy! And he turns around and you know the identity of the baby's father. And it's that rapscallion... George Wickham. George Wickham. Which, not to be one of those people that goes, well, in the book, but, but in the but, book. But in the book, what happens? We don't find this out until almost the end. And I don't think Louisa ever discovers the true identity of the baby's father. See, I'm okay with this. I feel like the screenwriter for this really was merciful on her audience because she knew that we didn't want to see another woman treated so badly because she's still treated badly in in the miniseries but at least she gets a little bit of resolution which is which is at least nice to see um so i think that leads us into episode three so it doesn't seem like a lot happens in episode two but basically it's it's reeling from everything that happened in episode one and trying to kind of figure out a plan and then at the end is when everything kind of starts happening. And that's, for me, when I got the most interested in. Because before that, everything felt kind of slow moving. But then once all the pieces started falling together, I was like, okay, I'm ready. And so we get into episode three. Okay, so Louisa has found out that the father of her baby is George Wickham. That he is now going on trial for murder. We have a trial. 
That's when we see the woman that Lizzie saw in the wood. Or Elizabeth. I go between Elizabeth and Lizzie, so hopefully you know who I'm talking about. But that's when we find out the, the identity of that woman because she was not a ghost. She's a real woman and she's sitting in court. And Darcy sees her and Darcy recognizes her. Way back, Georgiana and Wickham were going to elope. She was only 15 at the time. Man, he really made his way through the women in this story because he went after Elizabeth. He went after Georgiana. He got Lydia. She's, she stuck. He also liked him young because Georgiana was 15. And then several years later, when he actually did run away with Lydia, Lydia was 15. How old was he? I don't, it never said how old he was. Ooh. But one thing for Lydia is she's like, I'm not getting sh- shook off or whatever. Yeah. She's like, I'm sticking right here. And girl did. But the governess that Georgiana had that allowed her to meet Wickham. In Pride and Prejudice, we don't learn a ton about her. We just learned that Darcy made a bad decision in hiring her, that she wasn't a reputable woman, and he thought she was. Mrs. Young, that's her Mrs. name. Mrs. Young. Well, in this, we find out that she is George Wickham's half-sister. And they didn't know about each other for a very long time, and after his father's death, Wickham found out about her, and they instantly had a bond. He says in the book that she's the only woman who ever truly loved him. I think she says something similar in the miniseries. But this, I think before we get to this part is when Louisa is speaking with Elizabeth Bennet and kind of telling the rest of the story once she figures out who Freddie actually is. And she's saying what happened on the morning of the murder, before the murder took place that night. And she actually went to meet Mrs. Young and Denny at an abbey to give her baby to Mrs. Young for safekeeping. She was going to watch over him because... Louisa, at the time, a young girl could not keep keep her child if it was not, if it was a child that was produced out of wedlock because the child was supposed to be her sister's. Eventually, that would start raising questions, so she had to find somewhere to take the baby. She believed Freddie had set this all up somehow, so she went to the Abbey and she expected to see Freddie there, and she didn't. She saw Captain Denny and Mrs. Young. And so she gave the baby at first and was about to be given 30 pounds. I don't know if that was kind of like a payment for the baby or what, but she immediately distrusted the woman. She said, you are, she was like, she, she loved the baby too much. And she didn't like the idea of being paid off for her, her baby. In a blink of an eye, she took the baby and ran out with Mrs. Young calling after her. And then that, I think after that confession is when we learned that Colonel Fitzwilliam was also at the Abbey. We still don't know what part he played, but we know that he was at the Abbey at the same time this is happening. So again, there's some suspicion being cast on him, which Darcy does not want to hear. He does not want to hear anything that Fitzwilliam has done bad because Fitzwilliam is a stand-up man and he's going to marry your sister or marry his sister and he just doesn't want to hear it. So again, he's kind of a dick to Elizabeth and cast her off. But then he sees Mrs. Young at the trial. In the book, Louisa's sister is supposed to take the baby and raise it as her own, but they have three children and the father doesn't like the idea of raising this child, especially because it would be the eldest boy in the family and so then in position to inherit anything and carry on the family name and he doesn't want another man's child to carry on his family to carry on his family name such compassion these people have so they're stuck between a rock and a hard place which is when wickham suggests that 
his sister should take the baby. Of course, Louisa doesn't know who she is and all this kind of stuff. See, when she goes to meet Mrs. Young in the miniseries, I don't know that she knows that she knows the full story because she thinks Freddy is going to be there and he's not. So she's immediately kind of put off to the whole thing. Because, yes, in the miniseries, she thinks that her and Freddy are going to... Run away together. Run away together. In the book, she has a fiancé, and her whole her whole plan is to try to keep this all quiet so she can then marry this guy. Wow, that is some sneaky stuff. Um, he's the butler at uh, High Martin, which is Jane and Bingley's house. Oh, wow. She's lonely, alone. Her fiancé is, you know, like 30 miles away or something. That's why she starts carrying on with the soldier she met in the woods. Which, why he's there, we still don't know. And, yeah, her whole plan is to try to keep this all quiet and make it go away and until she can get married. Mm-hmm. After all of these discoveries happen, Lady Catherine descends onto Pemberley. And she shows up just to give her calming presence which acts as a tonic a miraculous tonic for people stressed out i can't remember how she says it but you're just going oh my god the entire time i loved this interpretation of lady Catherine. she is such a awful person but yeah she's hilarious to watch but you're just like oh my gosh thankfully lizzie can handle this woman it's interesting too in the book it talks about how they had become a lot closer after lady Catherine's daughter had died i don't know that this was a pleasure to lizzie but they seemed to get along at least a little bit better yeah it seemed like there was a little biting humor between the two of them and they definitely disagree they come from very different viewpoints it doesn't feel super malicious. It doesn't feel super mean-spirited. It feels like Lady Catherine's trying to help in her very weird way, in her very snobbish, aristocratic way. But she ends up being chased off because she is confronted with George Wickham's wife, Lydia, which Lizzie joyfully introduces to her. Upon that, leaves the house. I can't remember what she says to Lizzie, but she says several things to Lizzie, and Lizzie always has a, has a comeback. Because one of the things she says is, what would your mother think of this? And she goes, oh, I fear a great deal. (laughs) Yeah, so that kind of tells you the relationship that the two of them have. What does she say at the end as she's walking out? And she goes, oh, or she goes, oh, Lady Catherine, you should know me better than that. Oh, yeah. I can't remember. Basically, like, it's a disgrace for Darcy to be seen in the dock. Oh, yeah. She doesn't want Darcy to testify because it would bring down the family name. And she thinks he can get out of it because he's wealthy. Well... Rich people tend to think that they can get out of things or they don't have to do stuff just because they're wealthy. Well, because that's normally how it works. A lot of times. But Darcy's just a stand-up dude. He wants George to get off. He doesn't want him to be found guilty. Plus, he doesn't think that he is guilty. So he's going to testify to try to help him. Plus, he has to. Yes, because he is ordered to by law and he will be in trouble. We're now at the trial? I believe, yeah, we've we've come to the point in the story where the trial begins. And at this point, the, the law kind of feels like a spectator sport because no one really cares to listen to reason. They just want to hear the most inflammatory, dramatized version of what happened. And there's a lot of leading questions and presumption. Alverson, who serves as the barrister for Wickham, I think barrister would be correct, points this out he's, and he keeps calling objections. And the judge is getting so mad at him 
for daring to stop the proceedings and object to something. And he keeps going, I cannot believe these outbursts. As a modern audience, you're sitting there going, this is just part of the gig. But I guess back then, just the impropriety and impoliteness to halt proceedings to object to something. I think back then it was, you are presumed guilty before you are innocent. So I think Wickham came in and he was guilty. And through all of this, he has maintained that he is innocent. And that when he said those things, he felt responsible because he was the reason his friend got out of the carriage. All of that happens. I believe Hardcastle at this point knows what's happening with Louisa and the baby. So he has that information. So we realize the story that Wickham had given where um, Denny was upset that George was delivering his wife to a ball she wasn't invited to is kind of bull. Because that's why he said he got out of the carriage because he was so mad about the fact that George would send his wife to a ball she wasn't invited to. But really what it is, is Denny is tired of cleaning up George's messes in particular, in particularly with the baby and Louisa, because it doesn't work. You are led to believe that's why he gets out of the carriage. So yes, but we still don't know what happened. Yeah. Wickham says that he's innocent, which is all well and good, but there's no other theory. There's nothing. Darcy suggests that maybe he had come upon a poacher and the poacher killed Denny. Because he didn't want to be found out. But the claims on Wickham's character are correct. He is a scoundrel. He cheats people out of money. He doesn't pay bills. He fathers, he fathers babies here and there, allegedly. Of course, that doesn't come up in the trial because Hardcastle decides to leave that out. Because later he says that he feels George is guilty enough without it. With his character being as such, and the evidence being presented as such, and the questions surrounding Denny's murder. And the fact that there's no alternative. So if he didn't do it, who did? Because I think if he were a more reputable character, people would be... If he could have more character witnesses, maybe they would be more prone to believe him. But why would anyone believe this scoundrel who lies and cheats and steals and runs away with young women and all of these things? And isn't even welcomed at Pemberley. Isn't even welcomed by his brother-in-law. All this in mind, the jury comes back and finds him guilty. He still maintains his innocence. At which time they have to put the little black cap on the judge. As we say, it's time for my judgment hat. So they put his judgment hat on, and he judges. And Wickham is sentenced to death. Hang by the neck until he is dead. Hanged by the neck until you are dead. And Lydia comes and visits him, and... Oh, and also we kind of we went over a scene that kind of shows that Lydia has a little bit of depth. Because Elizabeth feels that Lydia needs to know about this indiscretion with Louisa. Because it may come out in court. So she goes to her sister and she's being her flighty, bubbly, chirpy self. Elizabeth is being very empathetic and caring. And the more she is so, the more that Lizzie's getting nervous. And eventually Lizzie gets down to the, or Lydia. Lydia and Lizzie, confusing names. <laughs> Lizzie comes to the point where she's going to tell Lydia and Lydia stops her. And she goes, I'd rather hear through gossip because then I can just denounce them as gossipers or I can just bat the those accusations away as the crap it is. I can't remember how she puts it. Yeah, basically that she can say, oh, you know that's not true. Oh, you're just making stuff up. Yeah, she doesn't want to hear it from her sister because she knows that her sister will tell her the truth. And I think that's something that kind of says something about Lydia and maybe her and George's relationship a little bit. 
because there might be indiscretions on both counts, but it seems like they have an agreement. But also, there's nothing she can do about it. It's not like she could divorce him or anything. No, not at all. But she doesn't seem really... She's not bothered by it, She more se. seems bothered that Lizzie would know about it than the fact that it happened. At least that's how it read to me. And so after George is found guilty, she goes to see him in his cell before he is executed. And they have kind of a very touching little scene together. It just kind of gives you a, a glimpse into what their relationship might be like. And I think they probably have a good one. They just, it might not be very traditional of the times. He may just be a scoundrel. I don't want to make um, excuses for him. That's not where this is coming from. But Lydia seems very strong and she doesn't seem like she's very broken up about the idea of George cheating on her. No, she doesn't. And I really like what they did with her in the miniseries mm -hmm. because you don't see much of her in the book past that opening part she's when he's busy. arrested. Oh, this goes back to a part, I think it's in the second half when she's walking into church with Darcy and she's walking and she's dabbing her eyes with the hanky and dabbing her nose and then she kind of stumbles and everyone gasps in horror. She goes, no, 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 it's fine. I must carry on. And she has this martyr look down pat and she is enjoying it so much. And I don't know why that just makes me love her because she's such a, a funny little character and she does really odd things. But Jenna Coleman makes her so lovable. You just go, you, you just love her. So when she's visiting him in his cell, he has this line that I really loved and he tells her to pick out the brightest and the best memory of him and to hold on to that. Yeah, it's it's very sweet, and everyone's kind of resigned to this is happening. Darcy writes to Elizabeth. She informs the parson, or what do they call pastors, priests? What do they call them? Would it have been parson, minister? Let's go with minister. We'll say minister because I'm not part. I'm not really sure on that one. But she goes to inform the minister. I think of what's going to happen, so he so he knows because as ministers need to know these things. And he informs her that Will Bidwell, the young man that she's visited a few times, is on his deathbed. He will be dead soon. very soon. He'll be dead soon. They start talking and they're, they're, they were thinking, hmm, you know, he hasn't let us come see him. And back when Elizabeth visited the cottage when she saw Louisa nursing the baby, there's this scene with Will and he kind of looks through a window. And at that moment, I kind of was like, what's this dude doing? But he's sick. So you don't think anything of him. You just think that he's worried about a sister who has had a baby out of marriage and all of that. They go to the cottage because they have an idea. Lizzie well, does. Well, Lizzie has an idea and they both are just like, why, why won't he let us see him? Why has he stopped letting visitors come? And they figure that it it was about the time of the murder. And so they go to check on him and see if something about the murder has bothered him or disturbed him. And so they go in to talk to him. He confesses to it. He says that he knew a soldier was the one that had taken his sister's honor. Which that's a stupid term anyways, because that's dumb. But had fathered her, fathered her baby. And so... When this soldier, Denny, comes and knocks on the door, he assumes that he was just coming back for more. So he stumbles out of bed, takes his walking stick, and hits him on the head. He must have walloped him good. It was one of those things, you know, like a last ounce of strength thing. That's true, because he said he was filled with rage. But he also hit him on the forehead, and that bleeds a lot. 
Yeah. So Denny stumbles away with all this blood in his eye, falls down a hill, hits his head on this gravestone that's out in the forest. Which happens to be of Darcy's grandfather. Darcy's grandfather was the Darcy that let everyone down. He built this little cottage that the Bidwells now live in, left the estate of Pemberley, and lived out there with his dog until his dog got sick, and then he Committed. shot the dog and killed himself. Oh, he oh he shot the dog. I think so, because the dog was old and sick. Oh, he, I thought the dog died. Or maybe it just died. I don't remember, because they don't go into this in the miniseries. But anywho, it's this kind of disgraced grandfather that's out here, buried out in the woods. Denny happens to hit his head on his gravestone, and he is dead. And that's when we discover that George Wickham came upon his body, and George Wickham is innocent. Lizzie writes a confession, and she asks Will to sign it, and he does. It's his last the last thing that he does because he dies shortly thereafter. Elizabeth has to get this letter to Darby because that's where they're having this trial. It's far away and the minister is not sure she can make it. So she's not sure she can make it and they're trying to figure out what to do. Mr. Bidwell, the father of the son, who has been kept in the dark about all of these things concerning his daughter. And I believe he finds out everything. In the miniseries, he does. In the book, he doesn't. Okay. He offers to take Elizabeth to Darby. So they ride through the night and I want to backtrack a little bit because I think we've left out a portion about Fitzwilliam because at this point we know that he has gotten Darcy's approval to marry Georgiana. Georgiana has reluctantly accepted even though she is in love with Henry Alverson. She has agreed to marry Fitzwilliam because it is better for Pemberley. What happens with Fitzwilliam? How do we discover his involvement? So Louisa had said that he was in the abbey when she went to turn the baby over to Mrs. Young. Which Elizabeth tells Darcy, but Darcy refuses to believe it. He confronts Fitzwilliam about this. Darcy does. Tar Darcy confronts Fitzwilliam, and Fitzwilliam tells him the part that he played in it, and that he did this to protect Darcy, to cover up the fact that there was this... Scandal. The scandal attached to his name, and a scandal that could have dire consequences for Pemberley. And then he says, I'll take your sister even if she's tainted. I'll take her even if George Wickham is found guilty. Like he's doing Darcy this huge favor by marrying his sister, even if George Wickham is found guilty, which apparently would send the Darcy name and Pemberley into ruin. And that's when Darcy's like, you know what? Bye. And he kicks Fitzwilliam out. He says, don't you, how dare you talk about my sister that way? How dare you? And it's, it's such a great moment because you just see the shift because he goes from being very much of the responsible, dutiful son and estate owner to he turns into a big brother. And maybe big brother isn't the thing, but he just snaps to attention. And he realizes that this dude is not the guy that he thought he was. And that shift happens and it is magical. And what's even more magical and what I love about British film, you see it a lot more in British film than you do in American film, is that this man admits he's wrong, goes to the person he wronged, his sister Georgiana, asks for her forgiveness, begs for her forgiveness, then tells her to marry for love, and when she does, always listen to that person, and then goes to Lizzie and asks for her forgiveness as well. I found that to be so refreshing because I'm not like, oh, good for him for apologizing, because he should apologize. That was a dick move. But for it to be shown in that way and to be shown in such a real humble way is so uncommon for men to do in film. I really appreciated that because you don't get that very much. And at the time, that probably wouldn't have been something that, that was done. But I really appreciated that about this character 
adaptation that P.D. Williams wrote. And he played that scene so beautifully, Matthew Reeves, like, like we said in the beginning, there is not a weak link in this cast. It is a brilliant, brilliantly casted show. And Matthew Reeves really lets everything play on his face. So when you see that shift with Fitzwilliam, you see it happen and you see the remorse and you see the, you just see the humility and you see him going to these women that he cares about and not, not doing it in a patronizing way, but doing it in an actual humble, remorseful way, apologizing to these two people that he respects and loves. And actually apologizing, not saying, oh, well, you did this thing. So I responded in that way. No, he's actually saying, I messed up. I'm taking the full blame. I'm sorry about this. Yeah. Not trying to pass it off or lessen what he did in any no, way. No, not at all. He is completely remorseful and takes complete ownership for what he did. And I really, I really appreciate that. Going back to where we're at, Elizabeth is riding through the night with Mr. Bidwell. We get to the morning and you kind of see each character as the morning dawns. You see Darcy, I think. You see Wickham shaving, which is the most terrible ASMR because it's just like when he's shaving his face. Yeah, it sounds like a dry shave and it made me hurt just hearing it. It makes me cringe. But You see Lydia sitting out on the grounds at, I think, Pemberley. Yeah, because I don't think George would have let her come to the execution. And it's, it's a beautiful scene, and she's just got tears streaming down her face. Let me change it. I don't know that he would have wanted her there, and I don't know that she would have wanted to be there. So, But she is up. You see the sunlight come over the windowsill of the prison, and as soon as that happens, the guards are there to take him. He's put in chains or handcuffed. I don't know what they're called. Shackles. 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 And he's led up with other criminals because he's not important enough just to be hung by himself. He's It's a, it's a mass hanging. So there's like three other criminals up there. You see Elizabeth arrive at the judge's house. And all of this, this is actually one of the best things about the whole miniseries is the anticipation and just the anxiety this causes the way they filmed it. Because the scene with Wickham as he's being led to the gallows moves so slowly. It pans over the audience. It pans over his face. And the scenes with Lydia, or not Lydia, Lizzie or Elizabeth move fast and it's frantic so you go between this frantic fast pace to this slow steady inevitable pace and just going back and forth in the pool is anxiety producing so maybe a trigger warning for that but it's really well done because i'm just like ah get there get there get there on time so he has the news putter on his neck they're about to finish the lord's prayer is it the lord's prayer the lord's prayer yeah that's what i thought and they're about to finish they're about to hang all these people and up rides the judge with lizzie she has the signed confession and the judge is ordering the noose being taken off of him and the executioner does so and i have to give it to matthew good who played george wickham he plays that so brilliantly because men are not my focal point in this at all. Even though, like, it's it's about him, you know, being accused of this murder. I'm not really looking at him. I'm more looking at the women. But this is a moment where I am I truly was awed by him. Because he let all of it hit him. And he, he went to his knees and almost caught his neck on the noose itself. I'm sure that wasn't meant to happen. But it was such a beautiful moment of honest response. That it really, it, it was a really awesome moment to watch as yeah. a director. You see women faint all the time, but you never see men take something on 
that much usually. And show weakness. Yeah. And yeah, he almost passed out. It was a really, it was a really well done scene. And that's what I appreciate so much about British film too, is they will show, I don't want to say weak because it's not weak. They, they will show men in a role other than super masculine and tough and like steel jawed or whatever. Like they'll show a stiff upper lip. Yeah. They'll show them being vulnerable. That's the word I'm looking for. Vulnerable. And I really appreciated that in this miniseries is that the men were shown in a vulnerable light. And the women were... Very strong. Very strong. Still vulnerable because women are complex, amazing, multi-layered creatures. But the strength and vulnerability was equally dispersed. Besides dealing with the actual gender roles of the time. Gender roles, not gender roles. Gender roles of the time. But I do feel like the direction and the writing balanced that playing field. The actors had a good foundation to work with. And then what they brought to it just brought it to a another level. Wickham is saved. Lydia and Wickham in the prologue, if you will. Is it the prologue or the epilogue? The epilogue. Prologue is before. Oh, I knew that. I'm, I'm a writer. I'm a filmmaker. I know all these terms. They are going to immigrate to America. Yes. Wickham and Lydia are headed to America, which I feel Feel they will do very well. They feel very suited for American life. In the book, Wickham is coming over here to be a horse trainer because apparently he was a very accomplished horseman. I think they will find America to be to their liking. It's It seems right up their alley. And oh. it gets them out of Darcy's hair. And he's like, cool. We see that they have kind of come to a resolution. Lydia is having a great time flaunting her husband all around town. And he's publicly declaring his love for his wife and thanks for his wife. And she's just taking it all in and basking in all the attention. So Lydia's Lydia's good. And George's too. You see that Darcy and Lizzie or Elizabeth are doing well. I always want to call her Lizzie. But Darcy and Elizabeth are back to... They're loving selves, loving marriage. My favorite part is seeing that Georgiana gets to be happy because Henry comes riding up on a horse and I am all about like the kerfuffled necktie that's open and it has, it's kind of like exposing his chest a little bit. It's kind of like a bad romance novel. I was all about it. And so he comes riding up on his, on his steed and gets down and declares his love for her and they are going to get married and they're in love and it's just, it's all great and wonderful. And I love the actor that plays Georgiana. I cannot ever remember her name. I don't remember her name, but she plays Demelza in Cold Dark and I love her in that too. She's gotten to make out with some really hot guys. You know what? I salute her. Yeah, no, no, I'm happy for her and slightly jealous. Okay, so Georgiana's name is Eleanor Tomlinson. Oh, that is a very British name. You can't get much more British. And she does, she, her body of work is really impressive. She's also in a movie that Laura and I watched a long time ago called Angus, Thongs, and Perfect Snogging. Yes. She plays the lead girl's best friend. And she's like such a sweet little sprite. She's so little and cute. And she's just blossomed into this like amazing actor. But we've definitely seen her progress because she was so cute in that. I think her name was Jade or Jazz or something in that. We need to watch that again. We need to watch it. I have it on DVD. But we digress. I digress. There's one thing that I don't know if you remembered or not that makes something a little creepy to me. Hmm. Do you remember that Colonel Fitzwilliam was co-guardian of Georgiana with Darcy? No. Yeah. So they, they were her co-guardians. Well, no, because he has a line about brotherly love has turned into genuine affection and that wanted to make me puke. Th- that was so gross, but it was so common at the time for like your guardian or your ward 
to be like, oh, hey, I know I've raised you since you were a kid, but now I think you're hot, so let's get married. Do you know how disgusting that would be? Ugh. She was like totally turned off by the idea. I get it. I embrace it. I am there for it. I feel, ugh, Darcy, what the hell? That's disgusting. But people married their first cousins and stuff all the time, no, too. No, I know. I know that was a thing, and it was, like, to keep the line pure. And I'm just, like, inbreeding. In- inbreeding. It's, it's, like, are we in British aristocracy or Appalachian? Not much difference, except Not for the money. Money. Literally, money is the only thing that makes a difference. Money and an accent. Gross. Inbreeding is gross. White people are gross. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> But then we come to the end and we find out that Elizabeth is pregnant. And she says, just, I can't promise it's going to be a girl because I guess Darcy wants a girl, which is another uncommon thing for a man of that time. Well, see, in the miniseries, they only have the one kid. In the book, they already have two boys. Oh. I wonder why they got rid of the one kid. So they don't have to cast another kid. They're like, the budget cannot allow for two children, only one. Children are difficult to work with. Children are expensive. Yeah, so it ends very happily with them playing with their son and Darcy fussing over Elizabeth, and it's all very sweet. And it ends very happily for everyone involved, which I do appreciate. I appreciate that about a lot of British miniseries or series. They find ways, even if there is tragedy or trauma, they find ways to bring it around and and come to some kind of happy or somewhat happy resolution. Well, in the introduction to the book, P.D. James says that Jane Austen didn't like writing about sad things, that she had said that all her books were going to end happily. And so she first apologizes to her for bringing murder into the Pemberley world. But then she said that this was a story she felt that she needed to write Mm -hmm. and that she was going to make it end in a way that Jane Austen would be. I think she did a very good job. I think if Jane Austen had read this now, I think Jane Austen would have been a very modern thinking person. So I'd like to think that she would have liked this or she would have at least found it amusing. Do you think she would have enjoyed Pride and Prejudice and Zombies? I haven't seen that, so I can't tell you. I have seen um, a terrible Christmas play called Christmas at Pemberley where they're trying to get Mary married off or something. And that was god awful. Oh, yeah. It was it was interesting. In the book, Mary gets married and Kitty is the only one that's not married. Is Mary the one that wasn't married in Christmas in Pemberley? Yeah. I couldn't remember. Like, I don't want to say anything bad about the actors. The actors were very good. The story was shit. It was terrible. Yeah. I get why they did it. They were they were pandering to people like me that love Christmas and Jane Austen but no that whoever wrote that needs to go back to the drawing board that that was not good and now that Pride and Prejudice is public domain anybody can take it and do anything they want with it which is not doesn't inspire a lot of good feelings from me so a bit of trivia Tom Ward, who plays Colonel Fitzwilliam in all three episodes of Death Comes to Pemberley, also was the only actor to have a minor role in the 95 miniseries of Pride and Prejudice. He played Lieutenant Chamberlain. Oh. So go back and watch it and you can be like, where's Waldo with Tom Ward? That's funny. I just watched that too. I really enjoyed it. Because he has one line, I think it's, forgive the intrusion, madam. I would like to dance with both of your sisters at once or something. And that's Lydia and Kitty drag him away because he's with Captain Denny. And they're like, that's one of the scenes where they're being Lydia and Kitty. So I just thought that was a little bit of interesting trivia. Interesting. So what do you what do you give this? What do you give this show? Do you what grade would you give it? I'd I'd give it a A minus. I would I think I would too because it was slow moving. 
a B plus A minus, which is essentially the same thing because it was a little slow moving, but it was really well acted. I felt that for the most part, the writing was very good. It got really good at the end. See, it had me hooked from the very beginning. Maybe I need to watch it again because when I first watched it, I was like, okay, I'll give this a try because I like all of it. I wasn't like engrossed. I was like, okay, okay, this was good. I'll keep watching. It wasn't quite up to my speed, but I'll, but I'll keep watching. And then I watched the second one and got a little better. And then the third one was the best for me. But if the book's very slow moving, then that makes sense. It wasn't like the worst thing. I've definitely seen a lot worse. And it was definitely something that I would watch again. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I liked it. I want to look up some more things that this writer has done because I liked her style and her interpretation of the source material. She was very thoughtful in her adaptation. I really appreciated that. See, I thought it was a good book and a great miniseries. Agreed. I think it, you know, I might change it just to an A. I think it was, it was that good. I think maybe just it being slow is just my opinion. I think overall, though, it was a very well done miniseries. So do you have a recommendation? I do. I was trying to think of something. I was trying to find something women-led or women-centered, but I was also drawn to the manor mystery aspect. And one show that I've seen recently a couple of times was Gosford Park. And while it's not my favorite, I, I'm not a super fan of the end because it is quite sad. It is really well done. Lots of great actors. Ryan Phillippe, I believe, tries to do an English or an Irish accent, and that's something. So you can you can see that to say you you saw that. Overall, I would say that that kind of fits in the vein of this murder mystery aristocratic kind of feel and it takes place in a big house as well so that's called Gosford Park. So I'm also going to go with a manor house mystery and recommend Agatha Christie's Crooked House. Both the book and the film adaptation. It has stars the incredible Glenn Close. Ooh how have I never heard of this? I think I told you to watch it and you ignored me. Well let's not say ignored let's say you told me and I had other things to do. Okay. Because I didn't ignore you on purpose. No I know. mystery. But I'm going to sneak in one other recommendation, which might be something that we cover later on. That's why I didn't want it to be my main recommendation. I'm literally rolling my eyes because Lara can't ever just do one. It's like, you do the same thing with mom and dad in presents. It's like, you're like, oh, I got mom and dad this one thing. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to get them this thing. And then we show up to give presents. She's like, well, I just snuck in these other things. It's like extra credit, but she doesn't tell anybody. Rude. Welcome to our podcast on our family dynamics. So I'm going to do another Anna Maxwell Martin thing because I just really love her and you'll be happy about this one. And recommend the Betchley Circle. The Bletchley Circle. Bletchley Circle. I was about to, I thought you were going to recommend Bleak House and I was going to go, well, you know what? I'm going to recommend Bletchley Circle. <laughs> I was like, we can just let this sibling rivalry come out and they just put up a new season she's not in this new season but of Bletchley yeah it's set in San Francisco Ooh, is it older like set in an older time yes okay and so I really loved the first season I haven't seen the second season yet and that may be one that we cover later on maybe so each week here at Fatal Femmes we like to recognize someone who has been a dedicated listener or supporter and we call that our person of interest this episode, our person of interest is Valerie Kalish. Thank you for your feedback and listening and support. We love you. And now it is time for our clue for our next episode. A closed mind is the worst offense against the supernatural. If it happens to you, you're liable to have that shut door in your mind ripped right off its hinges. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fatal Films. Follow us on Twitter at Fatal underscore Films and Fatal Films. 
DMs on Facebook. Have a question or comment for the show? Shoot us an email at fatalfilmspodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Make sure to rate and subscribe while you're there. You may just be our next person of interest. We hope you enjoy this week's episode, because if you didn't, we'll find you. Thanks for listening.